Now, as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Tracy. John 15, five through 17. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I will, re uh, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you here. My name is Ryan, for those of you that I may not know, and uh, what a joy it is to come into the presence of God and to just give him praise and give him glory. It's what it's all about. We are uh, a week away from Christmas Eve, which is crazy and exciting. Uh, I have said this before, I love Christmas, and so I am super excited that Christmas Eve and Christmas Day are coming up very, very quickly, but I'm also a little bit sad because it means the Christmas season is coming to an end, and so there's still so many things that I want to do this Christmas season, and so just trying to find time for all of that. But mentioned last week a few of the things that, that I love. I love Christmas music and talked about some Christmas movies, but I want to be honest and tell you that the best part of Christmas is the presents. I love giving presents, and I, I think it's a wonderful thing to give presents. I really do enjoy that. I also enjoy receiving presents as well. And I know there's some in here who are very tense, and you're like, Ryan, I'm pretty sure that's a sin. It's in uh, their first Christmas somewhere. You know, uh, I don't know what that is. Um, but no, it's, it's okay to actually receive, receive from others, to receive love, to receive blessing, to receive compliments, to receive presents and be okay with that. Some of you, you need to get better at receiving from others. Um, if that is you in the room, come and see me. I will allow you to give me a gift and I will show you what it's like to receive well. Yeah, 
I will sacrifice for you in that way. But no, we need to be able to receive because really Christmas is all about the presence. It is about the greatest present that we have ever received, which is the presence of Jesus here in this world. And that is what Christmas is all about. And that's what we have been talking about, this idea of Emmanuel, of God with us, of God's presence with us and that gift that God has given to us of himself dwelling with his people, coming to save us from our sins. And this really is what Matthew is about. This is a passage that we have been reading over the last several weeks. We'll come back to John 15. But Matthew chapter one, verse 20 says this. It says about Joseph, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so here is a moment where the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and says, you're gonna have this child and this child is going to be a blessing to you and a blessing to others. And so the angel gives the name Jesus to this child. So this is what you are to call him. This is what you are to name him. Now names at this time had significant value. People paid attention to names. Typically it was an abbreviated form of a longer sentence that said something about who God is or the person's relationship with God and what it would be. And so the name Jesus means God saves or savior. Now Jesus was not the only Jewish boy who was running around with the name Jesus, but he was the only one who would properly fulfill what the name was really all about. And so when the angel comes and says, this child is going to be named Jesus, he's telling Joseph and Mary and us today, this is what he's going to do. He is going to be the savior. The reason that Jesus came to be with us is so that he could save us from our sins. He reveals God to us and he saves us from our sins so that we can experience life with God. And so the angel is saying, this is who Jesus will be. He will be the savior the one that was needed, the one that has been prophesied, the one that's been talked about. Now, Jesus is so significant that he gets two names in the span of three verses here. And so it continues on, and this is the verse in the passage that we have been reading. It says in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so here is, a, is, is another title that Jesus receives. Now, this isn't just a nickname, right? It's not just a middle name for Jesus. This is to say, this is what he is all about. This is who he is. This is his identity. He is the son of God. He is fully God and fully man. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. This is who he is. And Jesus is what he's going to do. He's going to be the savior and save us from our sins. And so this is what we have been focusing on over the last few weeks is this idea of Emmanuel, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, stepping down from glory to be with us. And it's because of this truth that we have reason to rejoice. Rejoice because Emmanuel has come for you. He's come for me. He's come to reveal God to us and to save us from our sins. And so we look at the passage in Matthew and we think, okay, well, that's, that's great. We understand that he is Emmanuel, he's God with us. Now, what do we do with that? So how do we live in response 
to this? How do we posture ourselves towards God in knowing that, that he is a God who is all powerful, who's all knowing, he's all present, but he also loves us enough to come and dwell with us, to be the savior of the world, to save his people from their sins so that we could be welcomed into life. What, what do we do with that information? And so what I wanna talk about today and really where I think John 15 is leading us is to talk about how do we posture ourselves in response to God? How do we posture ourselves in our relationship with God? How do we posture ourselves towards God? And so John 15 really lays it out. It says in the very first verse, oh, I'm sorry, in verse five, it says, remain in me. And so I'm just gonna tell you from the very beginning that the posture we need to take towards God is to live life with God. That's what God desires. Now, there, was, uh, there is a man named Sky Jathani, and he wrote a book called With. And in this book, he argues that there are four postures that people will take towards God that are incorrect in terms of being the primary posture. And so three of them have some level of truth that we should probably pay attention to, but they're just not primary. And then the fourth is one that, that is not truthful at all. And so let me just lay out what he says are these postures. The first one is life under God. Now, there is some level of truth to this because God is king, he is sovereign, he is God, he rules all things, he created all things. And, and so we certainly live under God. We are, are, are subservient to God. And so we need to submit ourselves and humble ourselves before him. But this is not the primary posture that we need to take. So the way this would be lived out is, is that people want to be obedient to God because they believe as long as I'm obedient to God, everything is fine. And so my whole life is focused on obedience and, and nothing else. And so this really, if you look at the Old Testament, this is how a lot of people postured themselves in the Old Testament because they had this fear of God, but they saw him as unapproachable. This also is how we see the Pharisees in the New Testament living life, where they were living life under God in a way where they said, hey, as long as we are really good at obeying the law, then God has to give us blessing or, or at least has to uh, not treat us poorly. And so they assumed that life was meant to be lived under God, that it was all about obedience and being obedient to the law. And so they began to push others down who weren't as good at following the law as they were, and they lifted themselves up. So this is not the primary posture we are to take. The next one that people might take that we certainly do not wanna take is life over God. Now, this is the one of the four that I'm gonna list that definitely has no basis in truth. So life over God would be, a, it would be an atheist view of saying there is no God or a view of a very small God. And so what that means is that the life over God people would assume that God created the world and now he's hands off. He, he's sitting back in his, his armchair, you know, watching TV or doing something else, not paying attention to us down here anymore. And so we have to live life ourselves to figure out our own moral code, moral compass and figure out how to live this life on our own apart from God because now it is all about us. And, and so this is, is a view that is very common where we think, hey, we have to define morality and figure this out amongst one another. And basically how I'm feeling is going to determine what my moral code and my moral compass is. And so when we live life this way, what happens is we begin to fight and divide with one another because we see this happening all around us. I mean, you look at the political division or the division in, in, in our culture or in cultures all around the world, it's all because people are trying to live life over God where they're saying, no, 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 we're not gonna pay attention to this. We're gonna create our own moral code. But if you disagree with my moral code, then there's something wrong with you because my moral code is clearly correct. And so it creates this division and it puts God off to the side. 
And so we don't want to live life under. We definitely do not want to live life over. And so there's a couple other options we could pursue. The next one is life from God. Now, if we're being honest for many of us, this is actually, if we were to just create God for our own benefit, this is what we would want. Because this treats God like a magic genie, right? It's Christmas time, right? This treats God like a year round Santa Claus, right? We write our letter to him and he does whatever we ask from him. So we get all the blessings and all these good things come from God. And we just live to receive all blessings and good things from him. And so what happens then is we begin to assume then all of our good circumstances that God is pleased with us and that God loves us and therefore he is giving us blessing. And when things are going wrong and things are going poorly, we begin to pour guilt upon ourselves or push God away because all of a sudden it's my fault or wait, wait, I haven't done anything wrong. Why am I not receiving the blessing that God you're supposed to be giving me? You're not fulfilling your end of the bargain where I'm supposed to be receiving life from you and blessing from you. And here I am experiencing hardships. That's not right. And so there are many people who go to church as many Christians who would like to believe that we are supposed to posture ourselves to live life from God, but this is not the biblical account. And so then we can go to the one that I believe is the easiest to argue in the Bible, but is not the correct primary posture we are to take. And that is life for God. And so life for God is something that we do. We do live life for God. We live life of mission. And we see this in scripture. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. In Acts 1.8, he says, go and be my witnesses. Go and tell the world about me. As a matter of fact, in January, we are gonna be kicking off a brand new series. Uh, January 7th will be the first Sunday where we are starting a series in the book of Jonah where we are looking at the heart of Jonah, which really he was called to go live on mission. He was called to go evangelize and to preach the word of God to his community. And instead he turned and ran the other way. And so we're gonna be looking at Jonah's heart and really checking our own hearts to say, hey, do we have a heart that is responding to the call of God? Because here in Carmichael in Sacramento County, in our area, we have a mission field and there's a lot of need. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of brokenness. There are a lot of people who are far from Christ. And God has equipped us, the church, with the word of God, with the gospel message, and has sent us into the world to go and proclaim the good news. And so we certainly want to go and live that out. And Jonah, uh, well, he didn't want to live that out. But what we're going to see in the book of Jonah, actually, is that what God wanted and what Jonah really is about is, is God was saying, Jonah, yes, I want you to do this for me, but I want you to be with me. I want you to live with me. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 20, or sorry, not Acts, Matthew 28, when Jesus gives the great commission, he says, go and make disciples. And he ends the statement by saying, and surely I will be with you always to the end of the age. In Acts 1.8, when he says, go and be my witnesses, he says, you're gonna do this through the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to indwell you. God's spirit is going to live inside of you and lead you and guide you and be with you every step of the way. See in Matthew chapter seven, some of the scariest verses in the entire Bible, in my opinion, are when Jesus is talking about a time where people will stand before the throne and they will say, Lord, Lord, didn't, didn't we do all these things in your name? Didn't we serve you? Didn't we live life for you? And he will say, away from me, I never knew you. Because God's primary concern for us is not to live life for him, but to live life with him. 
And so the reality of the scripture message and what we're gonna see here in John 15 is that the primary posture that God wants from us is not life under, over, from, or for, but life with God. The posture that God desires from us is life with him. God is a relational God and he longs for us to be in relationship with him. And this is what John 15 is all about. John 15, verse five, he says, Jesus is saying this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus says, hey, here is what I want from you. I want you to stay connected to me. I want you to stay rooted in me. I want you to stay plugged into me. I want you to stay in relationship with me. He says, remain in me. And so he gives the example of a vine and the branches. And we know that if we cut a branch off of the root, if we cut a a branch off of the vine, we cut a branch off of a tree, what's going to happen to it? It's going to wither, it's going to die, which is what verse six is gonna tell us. It's no longer gonna be able to produce fruit. It's no longer gonna receive life. It's gonna be left for dead, gone, because it disconnected from the vine. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I want for you. In order to continue to thrive, in order to survive, in order to bear fruit, you need to remain in me. Stay connected, stay plugged in, live in relationship, live life with God. This is what Jesus desires from us. The language he uses here, the word remain there is is translated in some other translations as the word abide. He says, abide in me, remain in me, rest in me. Stay in my presence, live in relationship with me. And we can imagine a a young child in in, in infancy in its mother's womb, it is abiding in its mother's womb. It's remaining in its mother's womb. And so that child needs to stay connected to the mother in order to survive, in order to grow, in order to live and thrive. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, stay connected. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Don't disconnect from me, stay connected. And he says this in verse six, he gives this warning. He says, if you, do, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. And so Jesus says, this is what happens when we don't live in relationship with God. If we try and live life over God, where we think, hey, thank you God for this life. Now we're gonna go do our own thing. He's saying you're like the branch that's been disconnected, it withers, it dies, and it's eventually thrown into the fire because that's the only thing it's good for. Just saying that's not what Jesus' heart is for us. So he's saying, remain in me. Don't try and live life over, it's not gonna work. But live life with God. And then in verse seven, we see this. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now there's some parts in here that if we were just to pull them out of context and we were just to read them by themselves, we could assume that life is meant to be lived from God or even for God, right? Because right there in the passage, Jesus says, he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now I'm gonna cut the rest of the passage out and I'm just gonna hold on to that truth, right? Because then I can start asking to win the lottery. I can start asking for a bigger house. I can start asking uh, for all my relationships to just be perfect. You know, I can start asking for all these wonderful things. 
But if we put this in the context of the book of John and really all of scripture, we would see that within this uh, kind of dialogue that Jesus is having with his disciples here, that he tells them, hey, just so you know, following me, it's not gonna be easy. There's gonna be some hardships. He actually says, hey, the world is going to hate you, but just remember, if the world hates you, they hated me first. And you're like, well, wait, if I can just ask you whatever I want, I'm just gonna ask you to have the world not hate me. And then that'll work, right? But this is actually demonstrating that life is not meant to be primarily lived from God, but with God. The first part of that was, if you remain in me, remain in me, then you can ask whatever you want and it'll be given to you. And so what Jesus is trying to get at is that as we remain in the vine, that our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our attitudes are going to begin to conform to his will and his desires. And then the things that we are going to ask are, God, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And as we begin to pray and ask that, of course, God is going to respond because he's gonna move his will forward. He's gonna move his kingdom forward. And so we begin to pray within the will of God and that's when these things are going to be answered in the way that we desire. And so we need to be, stay connected to the vine. And he says, if you stay connected, you'll bear fruit. So yes, we live life for God. We live on mission, but in relationship. If we try and do things for God without being connected to the vine, we're not gonna produce any fruit. And so he's saying, remain in me. And then he says this in verse nine. He says, the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And so this is what it's all about. It's all about the love of God. It's all about living life in relationship with him. It's about understanding that God loved us and because he loved me, I can now love him. And I want to remain and rest and abide in his love. I want to stay in relationship with him. And so he says, I've already poured my love out to you. Just remain in my love, abide in my love, rest in that. God is a relational God and he desires a relationship with us. This is the primary posture that God wants from us. Stop and think about that for a minute. Of all the things that God desires, he wants relationship with you. The king of the universe, the creator of all things wants a relationship with me? That's wild. I don't deserve that. There's nothing I can do to earn it. And yet God says, this is what I want from you. I want relationship with you. This is what I desire for you to remain in me. And so we get to this point where we say, okay, I, I wanna live life in relationship with God, but how do I actually do that? So let me give you four things that you can do to live life in relationship with God, to posture yourself towards life with God. Number one is this, spend time with him. Spend time with him. You want a healthy relationship with anyone, you're gonna to need to spend some time with them. At some point, you're gonna to have to you know, put some other things aside and spend time having a conversation, sharing a meal, doing some things together. Anyone married in here? Married in here? 
If you try and live your, your marriage in a way where you say, hey, you know what, let's just, let's just coexist together and, and we'll just you know, do things around the house and take care of kids and all these kind of things, but we'll never actually talk to each other, that's not gonna be a very good marriage. No, on occasion, you gotta actually put some things aside, you know, get, the, get a babysitter for the kids and go and spend time with your spouse. And again, that's true of any friendship, any relationship that you need to spend time with people. Listen, I, uh, this, is, this, is, it, I, this is a bad moment. Anyways, in high school, I had a friend I shouldn't even tell the story. Anyways, I had a friend, it's not that bad, but I had a friend and, and we hung out a lot in high school and as high school ended, um, I, I just, I never wanted to do anything. And so he would call me and text me all the time and, and say, Ryan, come hang out, come hang out. And I was like, uh, I'd rather just sit in bed, um, you know. And, and at some point he stopped calling and texting me. We ran into each other a few years later and, and we're hanging out and he's like, hey, honestly, I deleted your phone number from my phone because I got upset that you never wanted to hang out with me. Our relationship ended because I never took time to actually be with this person. I was like, let's just be friends, but never actually talk, right? And, and so that's not how you live in a relationship. And so if you want a relationship with God, you need to spend time with him. That's what we're doing here together corporately, coming together in worship and spending time with God. We should prepare our hearts as we come into this place to spend time with God and say, God, this is time for me and you. We spend time with him. Spend time with him on your own, having a, a quiet time where you get away from everything else and spend time in prayer, talking to God and listening to God. Spend time reading God's word. Spend time with worship music on your own. Just being present with God. The second thing that we can do is we get to know him, right? So we spend time with him and we wanna get to know him. Now we do this through the word of God. God has revealed himself to us through Christ. Christ's life and words are written in the gospel accounts. We have the prophets, we have the letters that tell us about who God is and what he cares about. And so we wanna to get to know God. Again, this happens corporately altogether. It can happen in small groups. Like when we're doing our Jonah series, we are doing an all church study with that. So we have booklets for you to do. If you wanna do them individually, that's fine. But we'd encourage you to get into a small group and do it with a group of people because really the word of God was meant to be studied and learned together. And with that being said, also we should be doing this individually as well. And I actually wanna invite you to join me this year in reading through the Bible uh, this year. And so this is something that I've been doing every year for, I don't know, seven, eight years. Now it's a habit that I love. It's just a part of my morning routine now. I just get up and, and read my Bible. That's the first thing that I do in the morning. And so the plan that I do has uh, some Psalm or proverb, and then it has a New Testament passage and an Old Testament passage. And I'm telling you all this because I would love for you to come and join the plan and Version Bible app has a way that we can do this together. And so um, there's already a, a group of people that have started uh, adding themselves to this plan. And if you want to add yourself to the plan, you can go to cccnow.com slash groups and then go to home groups and you'll find the read through the Bible in a year plan. Now I said this at 9 a.m. and after 9 a.m. I had people that were already on there. So people stopped listening at this point and started adding themselves to the group. So. <laughs> Feel free to do that if you want, but it's, it's just a way, if you've ever tried reading through the Bible in a year, um, it can be challenging. It took me, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 times of trying. I mean, you get to Leviticus and it gets rough, okay? Let's be honest here. But I think it helps to do it together because we can have conversation. It creates more of a communal feel to it. It's a lot of fun. And I just think every Christian should say, yes, I've read the entire Bible because it is God's word. So this year, join me in the Bible reading plan. Again, that's cccnow.com slash groups. Um, we'll probably put that out in email form and some easy ways, but that'll start January 1st. Would love for you guys to get plugged in and join me in that. But the important thing is that we are spending time getting to know God. The third thing is that we're gonna follow his law. 
We're gonna follow his law. Look at what uh, John 15 verse 10 said. It says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remained in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And so here Jesus is saying, hey, if you wanna remain in my love, do as I say. If you wanna remain in my love, obey my command, listen to my law. You know, Jesus tells us that he came to give us life and life to the full. But the only way that we can experience that, that we can live that, is if we actually read his word and do what it says. And so when we obey the law, it is not to earn salvation or to earn relationship with God. That has already been given. It is because of the relationship that God has given to us. See, we still understand that we call God king and father, that he is the head of the church and the head of our lives. And so we respond to him because in doing so, we actually learn more about who he is and what he cares about. We experience his goodness and his love and his mercy. And that leads us to a greater desire to get to know him. And as we get to know him, it leads us to a greater desire to listen to what he has to say. And as we obey that again, it leads us to a greater desire to know more of him and then a greater desire to do what he says again and again and again. And it just keeps building upon itself. And so we as the people of God need to actually listen to God's commands and do as he says. And then the fourth thing is actually one of those commands. And the fourth thing that we can do to remain in Christ, to be in relationship with him, is to love others. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then he reminds us how he loved us and how we're to love one another. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I, that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. And so Jesus says, yes, remain in me. And if you wanna live life with me, you know what you need to do? You need to love one another. Because all around you are fellow image bearers of God. And so if we can't love the image of God that's all around us, how are we gonna love the one whose image we were made in? we need to demonstrate love towards one another. And in learning to love others, we're going to learn to love God. And as we love others, we're going to understand God's love for us even better. And so a part of having a relationship with God is our relationship with one another, how we love those around us. And so this is what God desires from us. He sent Jesus to be Emmanuel, God with us to be Jesus, the savior of the world, to forgive us from our sins so that we could live life with God. And this is how he wants us to posture ourselves. Not over, not under, not from, not for, but life with God. And this is the greatest present that we could receive. See, the greatest present that we can receive is the presence of God with us. 
And so this Christmas, learn to receive well. Receive the presence of God and give yourself to him in relationship with him. Talk to God and say, God, I want more of you and I wanna give myself completely and fully and totally to you. I want to live life with you. Because in doing so, we experience God's presence and we are filled with joy, with hope, with peace and able to produce fruit that, the, that will benefit those around us as we point them to the love of Christ as well. As we point them to the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is what Christmas is all about. Let's stay focused on him and live life with him this Christmas and forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so, so good. God, that we are not strangers to you. You don't call us servants, but you call us friend. What an amazing blessing that is. God, we recognize that we don't deserve that and there's nothing that we can do to earn it and yet you freely give it to us anyways. And so God, help us to posture ourselves not to primarily live under, over, from, or for, but to live life with you. Help us to remain in you, to abide in you. And God, as we do, would you lead and guide us into life, the life that you have in store for us? Would you produce a good fruit through us and from us so that others can see the hope that we have in you and can come to know that amazing truth of your love and the gift of your son as well. God, let us stay focused on that and remain in you this Christmas season and forevermore. We love you, Father, and pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.